Taking them from the underground command post. Deep in the bowels of a hidden bunker, somewhere under the brick and steel of a nondescript building, we've once again made contact with our leader, Mark Levin. We got a uh, former FBI director, maybe two former FBI directors. We got deputy FBI directors. We've got former attorney general. We've got former and current deputy attorney generals. All corrupt as hell. Now, a couple things. By now, you've heard all the talking points. And you've heard folks like Nancy Pelosi say that President Trump has surrendered his constitutional responsibility as commander-in-chief. And you've heard the Republicans say, yeah, I mean, come on. This is it. This is the big one. But what's real? What's real? And there's a lot of reality here. Four pages of stone-cold reality. I like to say there are two sides to every story and just one side of facts. You're entitled to your own opinion. You're never entitled to your own set of facts. So we're going to deal in facts. And about now, you're going, hold on. This doesn't sound like some guy from Philly. doesn't sound like the great one, and you're right. In fact, if I were to go to an underground bunker, if I go more than about seven feet below ground right here, I'm going to be in the ocean. Uh, so I'm actually, I will try not to rub this in. I am sitting in 74 degrees right now in uh, West Palm Beach. Uh, in fact, the president will be here in about an hour. And uh, I am Brian Mudd filling in for the great one, Mark Levin. I do a morning show on WJNO in West Palm Beach and a mid-morning show on WIOD in Miami. And it is a pleasure and an honor to fill in for the great one. Now, a couple things. You are in tune not only with reality, but facts and being ahead of the curve with Levin. He's been on this since day one. He's been on this for over a year. He's been on this since Trump was president-elect. He's been on this since something looked weird before that, before the election. And now it's all come together in a memo. But you go, hold on, it's only four pages. And I heard the talking points. Uh-uh. I tell you what, this is what it, I ended up doing. And I had no idea it was going to turn out this way, by the way. I just started going fact by fact by fact in the four pages. And guess what I came up with? I'm no attorney, let alone Mark Levin. But I came up with what you might call a 30-count indictment off of four pages. Because here's the thing. You can have the Democrats and whoever else wants to oppose this memo say, yeah, you know, uh, you can't trust any of that stuff. But let's deal in specifics. Let's deal in facts. What you haven't heard today, anybody disputing individual facts that are part of this 30 parts indictment, if you will, that I put together. And during the course of the show today, we're going to go through every single one of them. Because, again, there are two sides to every story, just one side to every fact. Now, the first thing is, before we even get going in that, I deal with the premise. You go, what's the premise? The premise of anything has to be sound. Take a foundation for your house. The foundation for your house has to be right. You could have your dream home built. I mean, it could be everything you ever wanted. It could be the ultimate man cave, the kitchen that goes on forever, the bar that goes out to the water. It could have five bedrooms, your game room outside your man cave. It could have two bathrooms for your wife along with three walk-in closets. 
If that sounds excessive, my wife has found a way to use them, by the way. But here's the deal. If that foundation in your house, if that's not right, what's going to happen? Man, that thing's going to crack, and the whole thing falls apart, right? If the premise of anything isn't right, everything built on it is a bunch of bull. And here's the thing. Let's walk all the way back. This is something Levin's been telling you for a while. Consider the sources. There never has been any question about impropriety at the FBI, has there? No question about that. No question about impropriety at the Justice Department, right? Never been the issue. We've had agents fired. We've had agents demoted. We've had agents reassigned. We've had a deputy director that's been jettisoned. We have a former FBI director who held a public event to present and judge the Clinton investigation. Because even he acknowledged that that whole deal, that whole dog and pony show with the attorney general and the husband, who happened to be her former boss, that happened to be the husband of the candidate that was being investigated, even the FBI director, who we find out himself is dirty in this deal, even he acknowledged that there is impropriety going on at the Justice Department. Now, that's not even where it started. you got to go back further, right? You walk this deal all the way back to Uranium One. And then you figure out, well, shoot, with everything that went on there, even Robert Mueller himself had to be aware that things were up in the Obama administration. Had to know that something wasn't right in the State Department. Had to know that when you have all these officials in very high levels that are all involved in their own form of impropriety, the premise is false. So anything that's going to come out of that that's in question, consider the source. Can you trust it? Is it going to be right or is it going to be false? So should we be surprised that we're here? No. We shouldn't. And ultimately, the question in all this, will justice be served? We got a long way to go before we get to that point. Now, here's the deal. If you're sitting there going, oh, come on, it's not a big deal. And, you know, if you're if you're lefty and you're thinking, hey, uh, Nancy Pelosi's making a lot of sense. And, and James Comey himself said, oh, come on, that's it. If that's really what you're thinking. Put down your bong and follow me. Remember, there are two sides to every story. There's one side to every fact. Now, here is the first claim, the first indictment potentially in the memo. And for anybody who's disputing it, whether it's James Comey, whether it's Nancy Pelosi, whether it's Adam Schiff, answer this one for me. Both the Department of Justice and the FBI petitioned the FISA court to begin to surveil a Trump campaign advisor who happened to be Carter Page on October 21st, 2016. Just two and a half weeks before the election, okay? That is the first point that comes up in the memo. Is that true? Is anyone specifically disputing that claim? Okay? Nobody's questioned that, right? So we got ourselves a fact there. Here's number two. The second claim that the application had to be certified by the FBI director or deputy director, the attorney general, the deputy attorney general, 
or assistant attorney general to the NSA. Is anyone disputing that process? No, that's a fact, right? All those things have to happen. So we know that the Department of Justice and the FBI had to petition. We know that high-ranking officials in both departments had to sign off, right? There is no one, no one that disputes this. Those are facts, okay? Third claim. The initial warrant on Carter Page was issued and renewed three times every 90 days. Now, here's the next thing. That takes you through the campaign. That takes you through the election. That takes you through the period at which Trump was president-elect. And it even takes you through the early days as president. Now, is anyone denying that happened? No, right? That's a fact. All three of those are facts. You're going, yeah, but, I mean, we haven't heard anything yet that is damning here. Oh, stand by. Stand by, because coming up, it gets juicy, and we get down to brass tacks. Again, there are two sides to every story. There's one side to every fact. The first three claims, the first three pieces of this indictment, ultimately, they're not in dispute. So get beyond the rhetoric. We'll get down the facts. This is Brian Mudd. In for the great one. Mud love in. I think it's terrible. I think it's a disgrace. What's going on in this country, I think it's a disgrace. The memo was sent to Congress. It was declassified. Congress will do whatever they're going to do. But I think it's a disgrace what's happening in our country. And when you look at that, and you see that, and so many other things, what's going on, uh, a lot of people should be ashamed of themselves, and much worse than that. So I sent it over to Congress. They will do what they're going to do. Whatever they do is fine. It was declassified. And let's see what happens. But a lot of people should be ashamed. No question. Uh, there are a lot of people that should be ashamed. And again, two sides to every story, one side to every fact. This is all part of a 30-part indictment, if you will, of all the players. All the players in the memo. Four pages, 30 different claims. And you can deny the overall pre- Oh, you know, the whole thing's bogus. Well, let's talk specifics. We've gone through the first three. No disputing the first three. Now we're up to number four. Fourth claim in the memo was that FBI Director James Comey signed three of the FISA warrants. Three. Anyone? Anyone. James Comey himself denying that that happened? Didn't happen, right? So James Comey is a player. Okay. Now we're up to number five. Deputy FBI Director Andrew McCabe. Well, he signed one. Huh. All right. That's interesting. Maybe that's why he just got jettisoned, huh? What do you think? So Andrew McCabe. So now let's see. We got the FBI Director. We got the Deputy FBI Director that are players. Anybody disputing that happened? Okay. 
Now we're up to number five, or number six here. Uh, so we've got Deputy Attorney General Sally Yates. Sally Yates signed at least one. Oh, remember how she pushed back? Remember how she was uh, alleging that uh, it was all wrong, that she was being pushed out of the Trump administration when she got there? Holy cow, right? Man, and we're just getting warmed up. By the way, you're just tuning in. I am Brian Mudd. I am uh, down here in West Palm Beach. The president's actually on his way uh, to uh, my general vicinity here, filling in for the great one, Mark Levin. And there are two sides to every story. There's one side to every fact. I went through the memo when it came down today and pulled out just the facts that are in it. And here is the, the rhetoric. The rhetoric around this thing is ultimately that, well, you, you just can't trust it. Or, yeah, you know, it's really, uh, it's really pretty damning. I don't care about the rhetoric. I care about the facts. So what we're doing is going through all the claims piece by piece in this memo, and we're going to find out if anybody is disputing any of these, okay? So now we're up through the first six of 30, and nobody, not one person, has disputed any of these six. All right, so let's go to number seven. The seventh claim in the memo. That another deputy attorney general, Dana Benetta, signed at least one. Okay, so now we're at James Comey, Andrew McCabe, Sally Yates, Dana Benetta. Okay, well, we got a pretty long list of people going here, right? Here's the eighth claim. That Deputy Attorney General Ron Rosenstein, that he signed at least one. Oh, and here's a kind of a big one. He's been awfully loud recently, hasn't he? He has really pushed back against this memo being really, I wonder why. But has he or has anyone else denied that he signed at least one of these FISA warrants? No. Nobody disputes it. And here's the ninth claim. That Christopher Seal was an FBI source. So, couple things. We're just establishing the initial players in all of this. And you begin to see just how pervasive this all was. You begin to see just how incredibly corrupt players at the highest levels of the Justice Department and the FBI, how they were all involved Everybody had a hand in this FISA warrant and the renewals of the FISA warrants. They all knew. So, what was the purpose of all this? Where did this all go? What was the basis of these FISA warrants, right? So, this is a quote from the memo today. The Steele dossier was essential to the warrant process. Essential. Now, has anybody disputed that? Well, no. Nobody is disputing that the dossier was essential to get the warrant. Okay, so now we got all the players. Now we know that the Steele dossier was all part of it. Okay, so here's the 10th claim. Christopher Steele paid over $160,000 by the DNC and the Clinton campaign to create it via Perkins Coy and Fusion GPS. Oh, that might be information people want to know about. Is anybody disputing any of this? No. Nobody has disputed that Christopher Steele was paid. Nobody is disputing that the DNC and the Clinton campaign were involved. No one is disputing the law firm that was used. No one's disputing that Fusion GPS was involved. So here we are. 
We're up through the first ten points in the memo. And there is now one person, not from James Comey, not from Adam Schiff, not Nancy Pelosi, not even Wiener, wherever he is. Nobody has disputed any of this stuff. So how bogus is this? I mean, hold on. If none of this is in dispute, then how can it be bogus? You beginning to, to see where this is all going? You, you see how all this week, what have we received? The rhetoric, the attempts to politicize and push back and make you think along partisan lines and to push you into corners so that if you lean left, you're just going to think this is all politics and not to look at the facts in the memo. That was the entire game here. They don't expect you to read. They don't expect you to break out the facts. They just expect you to fall in line. We don't do that because there are two sides to every story. There's one side to every fact. Now, we are just a third of the way into this, and we're coming back with the good stuff. Brian Mudd, in for the great one. If you turn off your radio and open the window, you can probably hear him straight from the studio. Call Mark Levin at 877-381-3811. It is Brian Mudd in for the great one and uh, broadcasting from uh, South Florida. In fact, uh, nearby where the president will be here in about a half hour as uh, he's coming to warmer weather. And uh, I won't rub it in that it's still in the 70s here. And, well, I know it's not if you're anywhere north of here, which is pretty much everyone. So uh, here's the deal. Uh, I say there are two sides to every story. There is one side to every fact. You're always entitled to your own opinion, but you're never entitled to facts uh, that are anything but. And here is the issue. You hear rhetoric, a bunch of BS, a bunch of just rhetorical nonsense from James Comey, like, that's it? Or Nancy Pelosi, who says that the, the president has disqualified himself uh, from, from being president by releasing this. But what you don't have, what you don't have, any of the specific claims in the memo being disputed. And that's where we get down to brass tacks. Because, again, two sides to every story, and there's one side to every fact. So far, we've gone through the first ten claims of the 30 that I pulled out of the memo today. And, again, not one person disputes any of them. And to catch you up to speed real quick, we've covered when the original FISA a warrant was filed, and it was October 21st of 2016, just two and a half weeks before the election. We also covered that you had to have the Justice Department and the FBI sign off on the FISA warrant and all of the renewals that happened. We found out that there not only was an initial warrant uh, that was issued, but it was also renewed three times. So this was taking place before the election, during the election, after the election, and in the initial days of the presidency, which, by the way, what was Donald Trump saying? Yeah, you know, uh, I think our wires are tapped. Well, guess what? He was right. He's already been proven to be correct because, again, not only is it in this memo, but nobody is disputing any of the claims in this memo. He was right. And you remember how that was played. Corrupt as hell. Who? All of them. Who are all of them? 
Here are the names that we've gone through so far that are in the memo that, again, nobody's disputed. James Comey signed off. Deputy FBI Director, recently jettisoned, Andrew McCabe, he signed off. Former Deputy Attorney General Sally Yates signed off. Former Deputy Attorney General Dana Bonetta signed off. Current, current Deputy Attorney General Rod Rosenstein, he signed. And, oh yeah, here we go with Christopher Steele. And that's where we left off. Most recently, Christopher Steele paid over $160,000 by the DNC in the Clinton campaign. And, yeah, Fusion GPS was right in the midst of all this. Nobody has disputed any of these claims. And so now we're up to number 11. The purpose, the purpose of the Steele dossier was to get, quote, derogatory information on Trump ties to Russia. Nobody has disputed that today. All the noise you hear, who has said, nope, Steele dossier was not that. Okay. So now we're up to number 12. The funding of the dossier by the DNC and the Clinton campaign never disclosed to the FISA court. Oh, so now we got all those players, remember? Everybody I just named? They all knew, they all knew that Christopher Steele was being paid by the DNC and the Clinton campaign to put this together. They all knew what the purpose was, which was to get derogatory information on Trump. And guess what they didn't do? Oh, they never disclosed to the court that information. Huh, isn't that convenient? Has anybody disputed that? Bueller? Guess not. Huh. Interesting. Next up. The FISA request left the sourcing off of the dossier on that warrant request, despite knowing that it was Fusion GPS. So, they knew that it was this Russian operative organization, and they also left that information off. They simply said that it was being conducted for a private citizen. So they left every aspect of the information off, where the money was coming from, who was behind it, the purpose behind it, and also that it had ties to a Russian organization. Huh. Nobody's disputing this. Now we're up to the 15th claim. The FBI authorized an additional payment to Christopher Steele for the dossier. Now think about this for a moment. Every top-level FBI official knew everything about this up to this point, that it was paid for by the DNC, that the fix was in, and they authorized another payment. Now, this was the one that ultimately didn't go through, and why? We'll get to that in just a moment. But again, has anybody disputed that the FBI did not authorize that additional payment? Huh, well, funny. No, not one person has. Just... James Comey saying, that's it? That's all you got? 16th claim. On September 23rd of 2016, Yahoo freaking news. Yeah, Yahoo news. Ran a story linking Carter Page to Moscow. And this was ultimately used in the FISA request as a co- corroborate, to, to corroborate the, the evidence 
I mean, can you even Yahoo News? I mean, who would have thought that we would end up having a memo that would have Yahoo News, Mother Jones, and James Comey involved? But this has all of it. Now, has anybody disputed this claim? That on September 23rd, Yahoo News ran this story linking Carter Page to Moscow. Or that it was used as part of the FISA request. Well, no. Nobody has disputed that. Next up, Christopher Steele leaked the story to Yahoo News. That's in the memo. It's the 17th claim. So hold on. Now we have an FBI informant that's being paid by the DNC and by the Clinton campaign to produce derogatory information that is leaking the story to Yahoo News that is then used as supporting evidence to the FISA court that is not being told about any of this background information. That's signed off on by top-level officials at the Justice Department and the FBI. Anybody disputing any of this today? Where is it, Adam Schiff? Where is it, Nancy Pelosi? That's it, James Comey? You can't shoot down any of these facts? Any of these actual claims in the memo? Talk is cheap, guys. 18th claim. The FISA request asset, the, uh, the request itself, that Steele was not the source of Yahoo's story. So in the, the FISA request, what they ended up saying is that Steele was not the person who leaked it to the Yahoo story. So they deliberately left out that information as well. Then here's the 19th claim. In a British court, Christopher Steele cited that he was the source of the Yahoo news story. So there's no doubt about that either. Has anybody denied any of this? All right, so now we're up to our 20th claim. The law firm itself, Perkins Coy, that the DNC and the Clinton campaign used to pay for the dossier. Now, nobody is disputing that this law firm was used by the DNC in the Clinton law firm to funnel money to Fusion GPS and to Christopher Steele. Has anybody disputed that today? No? Okay. So now we're up to this one. Steele was suspended and fired after revealing that he was an FBI source to Mother Jones on October 30th of 2016. Has anybody disputed that one? No. So once again, where are we? Two sides to every story, one side to every fact. Remember how this is all a bunch of bull? Nobody has disputed any of these 22 claims yet. So now we're up to this one, number 23. After being fired by the FBI, he maintained contact with the Justice Department and specifically, get this, Deputy Attorney General Bruce Orr and senior officials who were direct reports to Deputy Attorney General Sally Yates and later, yeah, Rod Rosenstein. So hold on. He gets fired because he reveals himself to Mother Jones while he's leaking information two weeks before the election. And the FBI, after they get rid of him, the Justice Department steps in and they become the point of contact. Well, that's interesting. Has anybody disputed that one today? Haven't heard anything. 
Just James Comey saying, that's it. Next claim, number 24. In September of 2016, Christopher Steele told Deputy Attorney General Bruce Orr that he was, quote, desperate that Donald Trump not be elected. You remember all this BS about how we were hearing, oh, you know, uh, Christopher Steele, he's a Republican. You know, he just kind of like Robert Mueller, he's a Republican. James Comey, he's a Republican. Remember all these guys? They're all supposed to be Republicans. They don't like Trump. Nope. Uh, so, quote, was desperate that Donald Trump not be elected. Has anybody disputed that claim today? Haven't heard anything. Here's number 25. Deputy Attorney General Bruce Orr's wife was employed. You ready by this? You can't make this stuff up. Fusion GPS. Here is the Deputy Attorney General, Bruce Orr. Now, he is the guy who is maintaining contact with Christopher Steele after he's been fired by the FBI because he revealed himself as an FBI source while leaking information to Mother Jones two weeks before the election. And what happens? Well, we find out that Bruce Orr's wife is also getting paid by Fusion GPS to work on the Christopher Steele Russian dossier. You can't make this stuff up. Has anybody disputed any of this? Uh-uh, right? Two sides to every story, one side to every fact. And we're not done yet. We'll continue with the rest of the story, as the late great one would have said. And this is Brian Mudd filling in for the great one. Mud Lovin'. should be ashamed of themselves and much worse than that. Get a question, uh, President Trump, earlier today on back of the release of the memo, which, by the way, is just kind of awesome because uh, we'll get into this a little bit later in the show. Donald Trump just had himself the best week in six months. His approval ratings, uh, his average approval ratings over the past week, Got the biggest bump in months, and that's before the impact of the State of the Union. We're starting to get a little polling in a link this week that is showing how uh, pervasive that has been uh, in, in terms of how well-received it, it was. In fact, if you go through you take a look at the State of the Union, you average out the pollsters on that, that deal, 73% of the folks who watched the State of the Union, 73% responded positively. Something else that was buried. And also, the top three issues that were polled on, those are all right in Trump's wheelhouse. So we'll break that down later in the show. But here he has the best week, momentum behind him, and he drops this thing, and he comes to South Florida, and he's just going to let all of this ride out there through the weekend into next week. The wind is at his back, and as the New York Times actually said yesterday, and they got right, Trump's got them right where he wants them. He's holding all the cards right now. We have been breaking down through this first hour. I'm Brian Mudd, in for the great one, Mark Levin. Breaking down just the facts in the memo today, because there are two sides to every story. There are one side of facts. And, yeah, you hear the rhetoric. You heard all week the efforts by people to discredit what's in this memo before it was released. You heard some of the loudest people saying this thing shouldn't be released that are actually players in this memo. That we find out we're in on the fix. And even today, with the release of the memo, they have not disputed any of the claims. What I did today is break out 30 different claims from the four-page memo 
and demonstrate thus far that not one of them, not one of them, has actually been disputed by anybody. It's just a bunch of rhetoric. So if this thing isn't to be believed, if it's not truthful, well, then wouldn't you have to dispute these very specific claims? And we'll do a recap coming up at the top of next hour, but we've got to keep moving along. Out of the 30 claims, we're now up to the 26th. So, Deputy Attorney General Bruce Orr, whose wife was employed by Fusion GPS and was in connection with Christopher Steele after Steele was fired from the FBI, actually took information directly from his wife working for Fusion GPS over, over to the FBI. So get this, the FBI fires Christopher Steele, right? So now Steele doesn't have a connection to the FBI. So what does Bruce Orr do? Well, he takes Steele's information and his wife's information, and he himself walks it over to the FBI. Isn't that convenient? Has anybody disputed this? Next up, the 27th claim, that Deputy Attorney General Bruce Orr, that his wife's role was never disclosed to the FISA court. So now we have not only everybody omitted that from Hillary Clinton's campaign to the DNC to Fusion GPS to Christopher Steele to Bruce Orr's wife, nobody, nobody involved in the fix was ever disclosed to the FISA court. Next claim. The FBI counterintelligence assistant director, director Bill Priestep, cited the dossier investigation as the only only emphasis stage at the time that they went to the FISA court. So this was not something they ever would have gone to the FISA court with under ordinary circumstances. In its infancy. But why? Two and a half weeks before the election. Again, they petitioned the FISA court on October 21st of 2016. Has anybody disputed that one? Next up, 29th claim. FBI Director James Comey offered a summation of the dossier to President-elect Donald Trump in January of 2017, despite the dossier having been corroborated. Now, why would he do that? You think that he got scared? The fix was in? The president might find out about this once he was inaugurated? So James Comey goes and tries to get ahead of this deal by telling Trump, hey, there's this thing out there. Never mind that he was in on the fix. And here's the 30th claim, that Deputy FBI Director Andrew McCabe testified in December of 2017 that the warrants for FISA would never have been issued without the dossier. There are two sides to every story. There's one side to every fact. We live in facts. None of those have been disputed. This is Brian Mudd, and for the great one. From the underground command post, deep in the bowels of a hidden bunker, somewhere under the brick and steel of a nondescript building, we've once again made contact with our leader, Mark Levin. Now, there are no underground bunkers where I am, but uh, a lot of water nearby. 
It is Brian Mudd broadcasting from West Palm Beach. Actually, President Landon just about now, uh, just a few miles away from where I am. Brian Mudd filling in for the great one, Mark Levin. I uh, do a morning show in uh, West Palm Beach on WJNO in a mid-morning show on WIOD in Miami, which, by the way, uh, you can always get my content uh, if you're into what I do, which I get to facts. If you listen at all in the first hour, uh, I like to say there are two sides to every story, just one side of facts. You're welcome to your own opinion, but you don't have a reason for one until you got the facts, at least if you don't want to be talking out of your rear end. Like a lot of folks, say Nancy Pelosi, for example, who has said that, uh, well, the, the president disqualified him himself. Or James Comey, for example, who said that, well, he, uh, that's it? That's all we got here? Or uh, here is one for you. Remember all the tough talk this week? All that big, tough talk in advance of this memo being released by the uh, top Democrat on the Intel Committee in Congress? Remember that one? Adam Schiff. Remember how he was out there, strong statements, bold. I mean, this thing is bogus. You can't trust it. There's nothing to it. So what did Adam Schiff have to say today after the release of the memo? Listen to this guy. The uh, important thing about the um, the uh, dossier information, uh, which they portray in this sentence as if the entire dossier was put before the FISA court, uh, is only very select uh, parts of what Christopher Steele reported related to uh, Carter Page were included within the application. Uh, and some of those things were already subject to corroboration. Uh, so as they have cherry-picked information from the FISA application, they've also cherry-picked information from Mr. McCabe. Um, including information he provided to us about the genesis of the investigation, uh, which um, did not involve the dossier. What the hell just happened there? <laughs> what was that? I mean, that just sounded like a guy got the crap knocked out of him. That is Adam Schiff answering for the memo. Number one, what was he actually saying there? Did that even make sense? And secondly, in the first hour... I went through all 30 claims of fact, the 30-part indictment, if you will, of top players at the Justice Department, at the FBI, all the players that are connected, including folks like Christopher Steele, Fusion GPS, the DNC, the Clinton campaign, the law firm that they were using to funnel money, not one of those, again, was discredited there. It's all a bunch of smoke and mirrors by him, right? Tuck, Toff Tuck and uh, Adam Schiff right there. Just sounded like he got the crap beaten out of him. What does that tell you? So, again, to tie this thing together real quick, in the memo today, parts of 30 facts that now one person on the left has disputed today not one of these claims. We had the FISA court petitioned two and a half weeks before the presidential election for surveillance of a Trump campaign advisor. We had top officials at the FBI and the Justice Department that had to sign off on this. And those people 
for James Comey, Andrew McCabe, Sally Yates, Dana Benetta, Rod Rosenstein, and we learned that Christopher Steele was an FBI source. We learned that he was paid by the DNC and the Clinton campaign. We found that he was tied to Fusion GPS. We found out that Perkins Coy was the law firm used to funnel money to Fusion GPS and Christopher Steele. We learned that the purpose that the DNC and the Clinton campaign commissioned the dossier was for, for, quote, derogatory information on Trump. We learned that none of this was ever disclosed to the FISA courts. None of this, despite all of those corrupt officials at the DOJ and the FBI knowing all of this information. None of it was disclosed to the FISA court. But that wasn't all. Because even after all of this, Christopher Steele was then authorized by the FBI for additional payments for continued work. We found out that Christopher Steele leaked information to Yahoo News that was then used as a source of evidence to the FISA courts to attempt to provide validity to the dossier to the FISA court. (laughs) Yahoo News! You can't make that up. And then we found out that Christopher Steele admitted in a British court that he was a leaker of the Yahoo News story. We found out that there was a meeting with Steele and Fusion GPS to discuss the leaking with the law firm used by the DNC and the Clinton campaign. We found out that Steele was suspended and fired on October 30th by the FBI for releasing not just his information from the dossier to Mother Jones, but also disclosing that he was working for the FBI. Then we found out that after he was fired by the FBI, he established contact and maintained it with Bruce Orr, Deputy Attorney General, whose wife worked for Fusion GPS on the dossier. I mean, it's unbelievable, the level of corruption, the deep state, all of this, and none of that is being disputed, right? We found out that Christopher Steele admitted to Bruce Orr that he was, quote, desperate that Donald Trump not be elected. We found out that Bruce Orr's wife, her research, along with Christopher Steele's information, even after he had been uh, fired from the FBI, Bruce Orr himself took that information over to the FBI. And we found that all of this information was never disclosed to the FISA court either, including the Deputy Attorney General's wife working for Fusion GPS on op research against Donald Trump with Christopher Steele. I mean, it's unbelievable, the pervasiveness of this corruption. And again, not one dispute on these facts. It's unbelievable. We also found out that FBI counterintelligence. Now, we had heard recently that the it appeared there was somebody at the Bureau that was cooperating with the Republicans' invest, investigation. Well, it looks like it was the counterintelligence assistant director, uh, Bill Priestap, because he ended up saying 
that the dossier was in its infancy in terms of the investigation at the time that it was presented for the FISA warrant and that it never should have been presented in the first place. But obviously, timing was key. Two and a half weeks before the presidential election, time's running out. we got to do something here. So according to an expert witness in this case, never, never should have even been presented based upon where it was. And then we find that James Comey tries to cover his tracks to the president and that now jettisoned Deputy FBI Director Andrew McCabe, December of last year, said that there's no way that the warrants would have been issued without the dossier. Again, that is the entire summation. 30 points, 30 claims of fact, not one of which has been disputed by Adam Schiff, Nancy Pelosi, not anybody. So until and unless any of those can be disputed, they lack any credibility. Which, by the way, explains to you why Adam Schiff sounds like he just got the crap beaten out of him. Because it's game, set, and match. And the question is, the question is, do you have any confidence in our justice system from here? Will people be brought to justice? Are we actually equal under the law? Does that concept even exist anymore? Because if these claims are not going to be disputed, then people have to go behind bars. And that's where the story will advance next. And we found out that the Attorney General is going to be following up on this memo today. Uh, this has already taken that next step, and we are very close, potentially, to what could be that rumored second special prosecutor. So stand by, but I want to get your thoughts on all of this next. I'm Brian Mudd, and for the great one. Mud Lovin. being released to the public is one that has never been used before, um, and it's for good reason that that would uh, be a, a, an extraordinary circumstance, uh, because the Congress is really not in the best position to determine um, whether to declassify information. That's particularly true without getting the feedback, feedback of the relevant agencies. <laughs> oh, my, isn't that special? You go, who's that? again well what was that that that's adam schiff by the way that is the big tough talking bombastic this memo cannot be trusted it's all just a bunch of political nonsense uh the democrats head intel guy in congress that is him sounding like he just got the crap beaten now to him because well he can't dispute anything in the memo so now you hear him talking, well, this is a uh, technicality, a rule that hasn't been used, and, well, I mean, it might not be wrong, it might be okay, but I mean, there are reasons we don't... Again, not disputing any of the facts in the memo. Two sides to every story, one side to every fact, 30 facts, nobody, not Adam Schiff, who sounds like he's got the crap beaten out of him, not him, not Nancy Pelosi, who is trying to disqualify herself from the human race. She, at this point, might actually be, I used to say it was Michael Jackson. It was the best evidence of a potentially um, extraterrestrial life. Now it's Nancy Pelosi. Uh, but 
That notwithstanding, none of them, including uh, anybody from outer space even, has disputed today any of the 30 facts in the memo. So if you're not disputing any of the information in the memo, on point, then how can you discredit the memo? Riddle me that one. All right, so now it's time to go to the phones, get your thoughts, because the question ultimately becomes, what now? We hear the Justice Department's going to follow up on this. If we're not going to be a banana republic, damn well better. So what do you think? Let's go to Frank, uh, Long Island. Go. Hello, Brian. I enjoyed your, your factual presentation. It was very good. Uh, let me tell you quickly, I'm in my mid-50s, raised four kids. I was a Democrat my whole life. I voted for Obama the first time. Not the second, and I could not pull the trigger on Hillary for obvious reasons. I demand, and I mean demand, and I hope somebody's listening, that people, as a citizen of this country, that these people be held accountable. And I mean, this is high treason. I'm talking about indictments and jail time, or what's the use? It'll just happen again. This is as bad as it gets, and I don't want to hear from Schiff. And I don't want to hear from Blumenthal. Oh, it's a matter of national security. I want to see who signed off on the FISA warrants. Because there's no greater threat to our national security and our constitution and our country than what's going on right now. Well, and that's it. You know, and, and that's what's in the memo. Uh, you know, we get that. James Comey signed off. Andrew McCabe signed off. Sally Yates signed off. Dana Benetta signed off. Rod Rosenstein signed off. They all were in on it. So, yeah, I mean, you, I hear you. I understand. I agree. And we know. And that's part of the point here. They were all in on the fix, and not one of them has disputed any of it. Keep up the good work. Thank you. Yeah, I appreciate it. Thanks for being there, Frank. Now, here is another point that is relevant on that note. I thought for a while, I'm an economic guy at heart. I'm a financial analyst and a business guy outside of radio. I love radio, but business is my first love. So I am always looking towards economics, and up till recently, I would have said that the single biggest reason we should be grateful for Donald Trump is simply economics. But you know what? There's something that's a lot more important than that, and it's this country. It's that we don't become a banana republic. And here's what we know, because, again, I started the show mentioning this, and it's important, and it's worth repeating. If the foundation of anything isn't sound, anything built on it is going to be BS. And this didn't start with this whole Steele dossier and the effort to try to undermine the Trump campaign, then the Trump administration. This started a long time ago. We know at a minimum it started during the Uranium One situation. So we go back at a minimum seven years now, and we see that there was impropriety, at the Justice Department, at the Bureau, at the State Department. Now, what are the odds it started then? That's just what we know at this point, right? So here is what I'll tell you now. Beyond economics, beyond making America great again, the single biggest reason that any of us should be glad that Donald Trump is the President of the United States is because it's the only reason any of this is coming out. All of this would have been covered up. James Comey still be your FBI director. Andrew McCabe still be his deputy. Sally Yates would still be there, right? All of these corrupt players, everybody who was in on the fix, they all would have been taken care of 
by Hillary Clinton, who bought and paid for the dossier that they colluded with, that they were part of the corruption to obtain the warrant that was supposed to take down Donald Trump. We should be most thankful that Donald Trump is president of the United States because he literally might be the only reason we don't become a banana republic. As I like to say, there are two sides to every story, just one side to every fact. And the ball, well, it's now in Jeff Sessions' court. And we'll pick up that part of the conversation coming up next and get your thoughts as well. Do you believe that Jeff Sessions will do his job? Do you think that this really will lead to people going to jail, people being held accountable to their actions? If it doesn't, if it doesn't, we got much bigger problems. And we might need a new attorney general at that point, too. So stand by. We'll get to more of it. And this is Brian Mudd filling in for the great one, Mark Levin. Mark Levin, a proud fanatic for the Constitution. Call him now at 877-381-3811. You don't have to believe me. Believe Andrew McCabe. Andrew McCabe gave testimony that said, but for this dossier, there would never have been a FISA warrant to spy on Carter Page. There never would have been spying on members of the Trump transition team. This dossier was the foundational basis for spying on American citizens. That's Andrew McCabe's testimony. And when the dossier was served up to the FISA court, how was it authenticated? By a Yahoo News article written by Mr. Isakoff. Can't make that crap up. <laughs> I mean, Mother Jones, Yahoo News, and James Comey, all part of the memo. And all, by the way, undisputed. None of it in dispute. Now, you listen to the Democrats. It's Nancy Pelosi saying that the president has disqualified himself. You listen to James Comey. This was actually Comey's tweet. That's it? Dishonest and misleading memo? Dishonest and misleading, misleading memo? What, what about it, Mr. Comey? What was dishonest and, and misleading? I just went through 30 points. 30 points. So surely you have something specific that is dishonest and misleading. So that's it. Dishonest and misleading memo wrecked the House Intel Committee. Destroyed trust with intelligence community, damaged relationship with FISA court, and inexcusably exposed classified investigation of an American citizen. For what? DOJ and FBI must keep doing their jobs. What, to keep your ass out of jail? Is that what they must keep doing? Is that why you're upset? Because, Mr. Comey, if anything that you're saying there has any merit to it, surely one of the 30 points... One, just one of them, Mr. Comey, that I cited, including you being in on the fix, having signed off, having full knowledge that you are withholding information about a conspiracy from the FISA court to get a warrant two and a half weeks before the investigation. Surely, Mr. Comey, you can dispute one out of 30. Come on. You're a smart guy. If you're not corrupt... If there's anything in dispute, let's, let's hear it. Let's go. Now, real tough, 
real tough to sit behind the tweet and go, dishonest and misleading. Uh-huh. That's it? That's it, Mr. Comey? It's all you got? It's pretty weak. It's pretty weak. I mean, it's like Adam Schiff kind of weak. It's hard to tell if you sound like you got the crappy now you though in a tweet, though, so that's the only thing. We don't know your actual you know, state of mind or, you know, necessarily if you're trying to figure out legal protection at this particular moment. Uh, by the way, more reaction out there. So Devin Nunes, who has, of course, been just absolutely uh, beaten up all week long, all week long for his handling, and has stood tall like a champ, said that his committee discovered serious violations of the public trust and that Americans have a right to know when crucial institutions are abusing their authority for political purposes. Amen. Anybody disagree with that, by the way? Get your head out of your rear end if you're on the left. Do you dispute that you have a right to know when crucial institutions are abusing their authority for political purposes? Is that something that is even controversial to you? So, once again, I say, where are the specific claims to discredit the memo on any of the 30 points in it? They're not here. Continue to take around uh, a look around. Uh, this was Nancy Pelosi's response. President Trump has surrendered his constitutional responsibility as commander-in-chief by releasing highly classified and distorted intelligence. Now, here's the thing. Highly classified. Now, was that highly classified like Hillary Clinton highly classified? Is that top secret? Is that just a little bit classified? I mean, by the way, when you're the president of the United States, you can declassify. And then it's no longer Highly classified or slightly classified or Hillary Clinton kind of classified or whatever it is, Nancy. Just, I mean, hate to point out facts uh, because I understand uh, it would be maybe, I don't know, an inconvenient truth for you. So distorted intelligence. What's distorted? What specifically was distorted? Continue with Nancy's response by not protecting intelligence sources and methods. He just sent his friend Putin a bouquet. Okay. He sent his friend Putin a bouquet. That's very nice. Um, Anyway, as the Department of Justice warned, the public release of the memo would be an unprecedented action and extraordinarily reckless. The FBI also expressed grave concerns about material omissions of fact that fundamentally impact the memo's accuracy. Well, where are they? Where are they? It's all a bunch, a bunch of rhetorical crap. There's nothing there. Lots of words. No substance. Oh, and here's the guy, by the way. Th- this guy is, is a piece of work. He's a guy who goes, hey, I'm just an astronaut. I'm Bill Nelson from Florida. Uh, he is scared as all get out, by the way, because our term-limited governor in Florida, Rick Scott, is uh, likely to run against him in the Senate, and the uh, polls are looking pretty favorable for, oh, I'm just an astronaut, moderate Bill Nelson. Uh, when he's really a, a, a leftist radical, he, he votes right in lockstep with with, uh, with Schumer and Nancy. But anyway, he had this to say. Uh, by releasing this memo, the president of the United States is undermining the credibility of our intelligence community and serving a huge victory to Vladimir Putin, the Russian government, and many other intelligence services. Now, how do you figure, Mr. Nelson? Again, where, out of the 30 points that I identified in the four-page memo, any of them that are discredited. 
And by the way, how is this a huge victory to Putin? Obviously, they're hinting around the Mueller investigation. Why? Because maybe it doesn't make him look so good either. Anyway, um, all right. Let's get to uh, let's get to your thoughts. Uh, let's go to uh, let's go to Ivan in uh, Maryland. Hey Brian, how you doing? Hey, doing well. Hey, you you said it right. Nunes goes right up there with Nikki Haley as, as uh, bright bright Republican stars. But anyway, uh, why why would anyone be surprised that Democrats broke the law? You know, you know, starting with Hillary and Bill, you know, they have always thought that they you know that they were above the law with impunity. You know, to me, it's just like you summed it up. It's like, what's the bottom line, though? You know, other than other than giving the Republicans a chance to stick their chest out, you know, I won't be impressed until you know, until and unless you know uh, Hillary Clinton or Barack Obama, along with Comey and other department heads, are thrown in jail. Otherwise, the, the swamp remains strong. Well, and, and that's just it. Somewhere along the way, and you know, we the, the one thing I will say in all this, it is damning. Damning is all get out. What's in that memo? The process does need to play out. You know, we, we are a country of laws. Uh, they should be applied. This investigation should be handled by the Justice Department. If we need a, a second special prosecutor, then so be it. But wherever the facts lead and wherever this case goes, those people do need to be prosecuted under the law. Because I'll tell you this, it's bullcrap that somebody who ends up uh, using something on a street corner goes to jail, but these people walk if half of this is true. Now, do you have any confidence that it'll actually happen? Hey, hey Brian, by, by the way, yeah, I think it was a struggle genius. Donald Trump said a, a, a couple of weeks ago that he would answer any questions you know, about the DOJ. And I know it goes against conventional wisdom. But if Donald Trump, a sitting president, under penalty of uh, perjury, testified, what leg would Barack Obama have, you know, to stand on to not testify under penalty of perjury? And then, you know, one other question, real quick question, then I'll go, is that, you know, rather than stop the investigation, why didn't Trump just give an end date, give Mueller an end date, like this will end in six months? Well, because that is not the way these things work. They have the absolute latitude uh, to go as long as they want to. And as we know, many of these have gone years at a time and have gone in all kinds of crazy directions that have nothing to do with the original investigation, which potentially is already where Mueller's investigation goes. So uh, the only thing the president potentially could do is attempt to end it by firing him, uh, and we know the implications there. Uh, but he can't go ahead and set restrictions to it uh, because that is uh, not at his uh, uh, not at his discretion uh, for being said. I appreciate uh, you listening. Appreciate the call. And uh, let's go to uh, Bill. This is a hometown guy here from Boynton Beach. Hey, Bill, go. Hey. Well, I first want to tell you you're doing a great show, and we love you every morning as we drive to work. Thank you God very much. God bless you. Appreciate it. Okay. And, uh, yeah, I'm, I'm like the last guy. You know, this is all about a bunch of underlings as far as I'm concerned. Let's get to the top of the heap. Hillary Clinton. Do you have do you have confidence that people will be held no. accountable? No. No, because of people like John McCain and Bill Nelson, who all sit there and try and point at Putin, who who's sitting there laughing in, in Russia. He's gotta be laughing his butt off over the fact that everybody you know, that the Dems and the and the Rhinos all point to him. He's got nothing to do with this whatsoever. Well, ultimately, Sessions holds a lot of the cards here. Uh, and so well, do you have confidence in Sessions at this point to follow up and to do his job at the Justice Department? Yeah, and he needs to do his job, and he's kind of slacking a little bit, I think. Yeah, I uh, I am really wishy-washy there on uh, which way this goes. I mean, I hope 
I really don't want a banana republic. I want to believe that, uh, you know, we, we still actually believe in, uh, you know, laws that apply to all of us, but we are going to find out here pretty quickly what direction this all goes. I, I want to believe I'm in that territory. I'm in the, the X-Files camp when it comes to our uh, justice system right now. Appreciate the call, Bill. Thanks for listening. I'm including every morning. Uh, so a couple things here. When we take a look at uh, where we go from here, uh, you are about to find out what Jeff Sessions is made of. You know, the, the one thing at this point that I think is fair to say is that Donald Trump has a lot of regrets about who he ended up uh, nominating to be attorney general. Not only uh, from recusing himself from the Russia investigation, which the president has made clear from the beginning, but when you think about this entire situation, think about the Alabama Senate race. I mean, that whole debacle happened uh, because of, well, Sessions being attorney general. So the Democrats get a seat in Alabama because you got somebody who appears to have been, uh, at best, a really awful perv, uh, you know, that was uh, trolling teenage girls when he was in his 30s. Um, and Democrats pick up a seat in the fifth most conservative state in the country. Jeff Sessions has done nothing at this point uh, to win confidence of the president or a lot of us that do want to see uh, equal protection under the law and the laws applied equitably. But now we're going to find out. Now we're going to find out what he's really made of. This is his moment. He can redeem himself. We'll see. And it's all going to happen here pretty quickly uh, because now that this is out there, there's no one popping this cork. We'll continue. I'm Brian Mudd, in for the great one. Mud Lovin'. Funded by the DNC, harvested by Christopher Steele, walked into the Justice Department by the spouse of someone who had been hired with the very same money, and then you've got Mr. Isakoff's article, planted by Christopher Steele as the foundational basis to bring this matter before a FISA court. Now, the FBI had authorized payment to Christopher Steele, but they never made that payment because they learned that Steele had broken the cardinal rule of talking to the media while working with the FBI on these matters. That is uh, Florida Representative Matt Gates talking today after the release of the memo. And again, you can't make this up. Not only was the fix in, not only in the 30 points in the memo that I have depicted, do we have all of the players, which include all of the top officials at the FBI, at the Justice Department, and a couple things here couple things here. So you hear, number one, the confidence, the enthusiasm, the specificity of what Matt Gates is saying, along with the absurdity of it, by the way, that we actually have Yahoo News that was used as a source to leak to, that was actually presented as evidence before a FISA court to get surveillance on a Trump advisor before the presidential election. I mean, you want to talk about the absurdity of it all. But you also see, once again, that the distract, the the look over here, the that's all you've got from the Comey show. The, well, the president's discredited himself. He, he's no longer uh, qualified to be president for Nancy Pelosi. Again, listen to the specificity of someone like Gates. Nobody is disputing this. Nobody 
Not one of the 30 different facts presented in the memo has been disputed by any of these people, including the players. And that speaks volumes. All right, let's go to Bill. Bill in uh, Dover, Delaware. Go. Hey, how you doing, man? Brian? Hey, all good. All right, doing a great job, man. Um, look, I, I, I'm not an intellectual at all. I know from the get, this whole thing stunk. Um, there's no way that Russia wanted Trump as president to begin with. There's no way. There's no way. You know, he laid the law down with Putin when he was running, and then, well, during the campaign or, or years back, you know, who, who sold them? Who helped them get their uranium from us? You, you just nailed it. I, uh, I mean, gold, okay, let, let gold me, star. One thing, and what is the first? One of the first things Trump did in office when uh, Syria unleashed their chemical weapons on our people? That that air air force base had just been re-upped by the Russians. From, from what my understanding is, they almost spent a billion dollars there. And he sent, I think, 54 tomahawks that blew it off the face of the map. You don't do that to someone that helps you get elected. Uh, I'll tell you... I'll tell you this, Bill. You might not think you're intellectual, but you got more going on than anything I've heard from Nancy Pelosi or James Comey today. So congratulations. You just knocked the cover off the ball twice. And let's explain something here real quick. Uh, why would you continue to hear, including in the rhetoric that goes nowhere from Nancy Pelosi, uh, for example, that this was a gift to the Russians? Now, why in the world would the Russians have wanted Trump to win? you got to answer that question. Think about this for a moment. Go back to the Uranium One deal. Now, if you're not uh, totally versed in this, uh, you know, I'm not going to go through the entire sequence of events. But the long story short, Uranium One, Canadian company that ends up uh, having uranium supply that is also in the United States. So in order for any uranium to be sold to any entity, it has to come with top approval from a myriad of different government agencies. And who is right there to facilitate this entire situation? Well, you guessed it, Hillary Clinton. Now, here's the other piece of this. We had a Russian official who was under investigation, who was granted special visa access to the United States to broker this Uranium One deal. Now, who had it? on that oh the justice department so going all the way back to the uranium one deal we see that not only was the state department under hillary clinton which we already knew for a myriad of other reasons corrupt as hell but the fix was already in with the justice department back then and Guess what? The Russians got the uranium. So why would they not want Hillary Clinton to be president of the United States when she was that freaking valuable to them when she was secretary of state? Nobody, nobody has answered that question either. Two sides to every story, one side to every fact. We got a lot more of those to go coming up next. I'm the Brian Mudd. underground command post, deep in the bowels of a hidden bunker, somewhere under the brick and steel of a nondescript building, we've once again made contact with our leader, Mark Levin. What's going on in this country, I think it's a disgrace. 
Yeah, you aren't kidding. Uh, that, of course, the president earlier today uh, when he ended up authorizing the release of the memo. The memo that in four pages had 30 different points that I've been able to identify that I've shared with you throughout the course of the show and that not one person, not one person has disputed any of. Not any of the 30. Two sides to every story, one side to every fact. And uh, I am not in an underground bunker. I am seven feet above sea level and currently uh, just a few miles from the President of the United States as he has made his way to Mar-a-Lago this evening. About an hour ago, uh, he came to his second home here in South Florida. I'm Brian Mudd. I do a morning show on WJNO in West Palm Beach. I do a mid-morning show on WIOD in Miami. And I got content that goes all over the place. I do six hours of radio a day when I'm not doing this show. <laughs> Which, by the way, this is the most radio I've ever done in a day outside of hurricane coverage. And that's a whole different story that we'll save for a different show, different time. But um, you can go to WJNO.com, WIOD.com, and get content from those shows. And you can also check out my stuff, very active, every day. And, again, it, my role in, in what I try to uh, try to do day in and day out is bring you information you don't get ever, anywhere else. Factual information you don't get anywhere else. I always like to say that uh, if you hear what I'm saying somewhere else, then there's no point of me being here and no point of me doing it. And so as part of being an analyst, uh, I wanted to bring you this. Of course, we've been talking about the memo uh, throughout the course of the show so far. Broke that down for you, analyzed that for you. But also, um, the president, he already had all of the momentum, all the moj before this memo. The initial State of the Union address, that reaction, it was strong. So a couple things. You have a lot of people that take polls, and what do they do? They find one poll they like, and they run with it. But, uh, you know, one thing that some people have been trained on, like real clear politics, will average out a bunch of polls. And that's good to a point. But even then, a lot of times it will average out information uh, that across different samples, everything from adult samples to likely voters. And there's a lot of difference in those samples oftentimes. And you'll also see that you might have stuff that's been averaged together for a month. You know how much stuff changes in politics inside of a month? Think about this. What were we just about talking about a month ago? Remember that whole uh, fire and fury thing? I mean, if you think about it, in January, we went through fire and fury, asshole gate, and we ended up going through the partial government shutdown. And guess what? The Trumpster, his average average approval rating right now, prior to the impact in the polls of the State of the Union address, is the highest it's been in six months. His net approval rating, because his disapproval rating has been falling as well, is actually the best since last April. And, yeah, he's still underwater. But remember, this was not a guy who won the election based upon the ultimate likability factor. He had barely above 40% favorables when he won the presidency. So that's not what this is about to begin with. So about the State of the Union, they're talking about there being two sides to every story, one side to those facts. So here's the deal. Let's get to it. You heard the ratings for the speech. They were 45.6 million. And something I will point out right off the bat. You heard uh, a lot of people go after the president because he tweeted out, most viewers ever, you know, it was the most watched ever. And a lot of people went, well, that's a bunch of bull crap because we can show you these other speeches and there are more viewers. Ah, but, you know, an inconvenient truth here. That 45.6 million, guess what? That's only traditional broadcast 
television measured by Nielsen. You might have heard of streaming. It is a somewhat new concept, right? Conveniently, conveniently, those numbers have been left out. And by the way, even earlier today, I wasn't able to find the latest uh, streaming numbers on the State of the Union speech, but those aren't accounted for. So by the time you factor in streaming viewership, there is actually the potential. It would be among the most viewed ever. That's number one. Number two, Fox News. Holy crap. They they had 11.5 million viewers. NBC was second with 7.1. This is CNN. It's like thanks for playing the game. 3.1 million viewers. 3.1 million. So Fox is 11.5. You could add CNN and MSNBC's ratings and combined, combined, they weren't half of Fox News. So here's my next point to you. You know how, as a conservative you will be made to feel as though you're the outlier, right? couple of points I want to highlight for you. Donald Trump is the president of the United States. This just said. Secondly, coming out of this 2016 presidential election cycle, there were more elected Republicans top to bottom in the United States of America than there have been at any point since the 19. 1920s. 1920s. So you know how you've been conditioned to to feel as though you're the odd one out. You're out there in the periphery. You always have to be on the defensive because that media, man, they put you there. And all those righteous leftists, they put you there. Uh Uh-uh. It's them. And remember that if the media had the influence, the traditional media, that they wish they still did, or that you still might feel they have, how in the heck would we have President Donald Trump and more elected Republicans in the United States of America than we've had at any point since the 1920s? So again, to these ratings, hello, who's the oddball? The oddball is the person that's in there going, this is CNN. You have somebody who watched CNN for the State of the Union? They're the weirdo, not you. Next up. When we take a look at the average of the accredited pollsters on the State of the Union address, here's what you get. An average of 73% who responded positively, 73% who responded positively to the State of the Union. You only had 27% that were negative. To put it another way, and again, not counting the streaming ratings, you had 33 and a third million Americans that held a positive view of the speech compared to 12.3 million who didn't. So if you've been walking around the past couple of days and you've got that bozo that's sitting there going, yeah, that was terrible. They're the weirdo, not you. Because barely one in four people who watched it had a negative view of it. It's them, not you. Now, That is a smoking performance when you are Donald Trump and already so many people view you through the prism of what they assume that you are. To get 73% positives, that is a rock and roll kind of number. And then you get down to brass tacks. If we get into the top three issues that were polled, guess what? The issues in this order were the ones that most resonated with people who watched the State of the Union speech. Number one? Infrastructure. 
Number two, immigration. And number three, national security. Now, what does that tell you? That looks like there's a heck of a lot of wind at the president's back, right? It looks like with a deadline deal looming next Thursday, the president's holding the cards, right? Number one, infrastructure. Number two, immigration. Number three, national security. Huh. So the president holds the upper hand with the immigration deal that he proposed. He holds the upper hand with the infrastructure deal, which is another matter because we are talking about a bunch of debt spending and save that piece of it for another time. And national security. Now, my one nit that i got to pick, and this is one thing that foundationally will just piss me off sometimes. Here's the deal. I understand that the president made a compelling case. Now, we all have a, you know, a lot of infrastructure around us that we go, yeah, that really stinks. However, what is the only thing that the federal government was tasked with ever doing for us? Anybody? You got it? Yep, that's right. Defense. The only thing that is a must-do by the federal government is secure us, is fund the military, make sure we're safe. Everything else, it's a choice. That's a choice. So, hey, at least it's the third biggest priority based upon the way the president presented it and our thoughts of it, so it did get a warm reception. But that is something else that's a, a bigger point in all of this. Just to let this kind of permeate with you and also for you to share with others. There's a reason why we didn't have a permanent federal income tax in this country until 1913. And by the way, we were well on our way to being a world superpower without one. And that's because that's all we did. All we did was account for national security and a bit of infrastructure up to that point. So everything else we do, that's a choice. The one non-negotiable national security. And what's suffering right now? We can't even get our hornets off the ground. You know that a third of our hornets can't fly, and we don't have the money to get them in the air. So before we go thinking about, hey, we got to do this infrastructure thing, we had better take care of our military, our national defense. And by the way, if we're not safe, does any of the rest of it matter? Uh, sure as heck doesn't, right? So anyway, uh, a few things. Now, picking up on all these points and that positive momentum, I'm going to bring that forward with the rest of the president's story. That's coming up next. I'm Brian Mudd, in for the great one. Mud Lovin. It is Brian Mudd, in for the great one, Mark Levin. And we've been talking about the memo, the 30 different facts in it that not one person has been able to dispute. Not the 30. Not one of the 30 has been disputed. So you can sit there and say, all day, oh, yeah, yeah, nothing to it. it. Uh-huh. You, you can be James Comey say, that's it. Well, what are you suggesting isn't true, Mr. Comey? That you were part of the fix? Because, I mean, that's in the memo. You're not disputing any of the facts in the memo. Adam Schiff? No. He's not disputing any of the facts. Nancy Pelosi? She's pretty much just busy showing that she's been evidently breathing too much of that uh, recreational air in uh, San Francisco. So, huh, 
Okay. And most recently, we were taking a look at the State of the Union address and how well received it was and the top issues that were polled coming out of the State of the Union, which all happened to line up with the president's agenda as we have a deadline looming next Thursday for funding for the government, as we have the DACA deadline looming in early March. And that wasn't all. Because one of the things I do each and every week, call it tracking Trump, I take a look at the president's average approval rating. Now, this is all the polls in a given week. And here's the deal. If we take a look at the high point in his approval ratings, you go back to January 27th of last year, only one week into his presidency. So his high point was 45% approval, 43% disapproval. All right, so it's never been like he's been the uber-popular president, not even right after he was sworn in. He was at positive 2%. The low point was last August when he was just at 37% approval, 59% disapproval. So he was in the hole by 22%. So where are we today? Now, this was prior to any polling that came out later in the day. This is first thing this morning where we stood before really any approval information from the State of the Union was factored in, and that's important. I'll get to that in a moment. Well, his average approval rating, 42% approval, 53% disapproval. Now, while that doesn't sound good, here's the deal. He's up 4% in his overall average approval rating in one week. And what moved that? It was Davos, the positive reception over there. It was the great economic news. It was... The State of the Union address 10% of the sample. That's it, as the first thing this morning. So if 73% of people are positive, and he already got a 4% bump, and we see all of those top issues, the president's agenda, he, he's got all of the upper hand in the negotiating power. But here's the other thing that's important, too. Because when you get into polling, you'll see that some people like to pick and choose polls, right? Well, we have seen for months now, that the more engaged and informed somebody is, the more likely they are to approve of him. So over the past week, if you take a look at only the adult samples, the least informed, the least engaged, his average approval rating was 40. If you take a look at registered voters, 44%. If you take a look at likely voters, look at that, 45%, which happens to be, by the way, the exact same approval rating he had just over a year ago, right after his inauguration. So look at that. And you don't hear that anywhere else, do you? Because, again, you got people that are picking and choosing their polls and going with what they like. And the other deal is, too, what you're continuing to see is that because of the samples, you have Gallup. Let's say that somebody used Gallup's poll this week. You know that his approval rating is at negative 20% there? You look at Monmouth. His approval rating, just at negative 4%. Pretty big difference, isn't it? So, again... There's a lot more to the president's story. And then you wait for the outcome of the State of the Union address. Yeah, we've had polls that have come out today that have shown the president's approval as high as 49%. So stand by for next week. But that's not the only thing here. So here's the deal. Have you felt as though the country is heading in the right direction, or have you thought it's on the wrong track? So coming out of the Obama administration, only 30% of us thought we were heading the right way. That's it. So even though people are like, yeah, Obama, good guy, generally had eh, favorable approval ratings, right? Yeah, people hated his policies, and we weren't happy with the direction of the country, and there's good reason for it. We had the worst sustained economy that we've ever had. <laughs> Pretty ridiculous, right? 
We had never had more than four consecutive years without 3% growth in this, in this country. Not even during the Great Depression, by the way, until Barack Obama's administration, where we averaged 1.8% growth. And so where are we today? 38% of Americans think we're heading in the right direction. And by the way, if you only take a look at those that are the most engaged, we are now up to 40% that think we're heading in the right direction. That is a huge increase over where we were one year ago, and we're just getting started. I'm Brian Mudd, and we are taking a look at the facts on tonight's show. And by the way, the New York Times, have to give them credit, they absolutely nailed it. Because they had this headline yesterday, Trump has got the Democrats right where he wants them. And that's why I was setting up all that information. The State of the Union, the positivity there, his polls already surging. The direction of the country, people being more positive about it. And then the memo will continue. Brian Mudd, in for the great one. The Mark Levin Show, live and national at 877-381-3811. The Democratic Party paid money to the Perkins Law Firm. The Perkins Law Firm then hired Fusion GPS, Christopher Steele and Glenn Simpson, and they also hired Nellie Orr, the spouse of a senior Justice Department official, Bruce Orr. Christopher Steele then went and drummed up this fake dossier, and then Nellie Orr's role was to get this into the hands of her husband, who, despite the fact that his silo includes drug interdiction and anti-narcotics endeavors, somehow was then meeting with Christopher Steele and Glenn Simpson before and after the election. Florida Representative Matt Gates. Once again, you hear the level of specificity, and you hear how crystal clear the information is laid out. And again, 30 different facts inside of four pages, and now one of them is in dispute, and every one of them implicates uh, people from... James Comey, all the way through uh, the deputies, former, and actually, if you're talking about the Justice Department, current Rod Rosenstein, who happens to be implicated. If you're wondering why there had been such a harsh pushback by so many people at the Bureau, so many people that used to be at the Bureau, why we ended up having... The deputy FBI director suddenly uh, go into retirement three months early. Well, he is also a conspirator who is named here, who, again, nobody, nobody is disputing. So they were all part of it. It's all right there and documented. Now one of them, now one of those claims has been disputed. Two sides to every story. One side to every fact. Now, we were talking about the momentum that the president has. And the New York Times happened to stumble on to a really good point yesterday. Headline in that story was Trump has got Democrats right where he wants them. And I'm going to summarize what I was just talking about. Got five points here. Number one, country's optimism was already on the rise and is already far better than the average of the Obama years. It's a fact. Number two. The president's approval over the, the past week took his biggest jump in six months prior to the State of the Union address, which was viewed positively by 73% of people who watched it. It's a fact. Number three, people are just now starting to see the impact that tax reform 
and their paychecks. And guess what? It's not peanuts. So in the jobs report we got today, guess what? We found out that overall incomes are up 3.6% year over year. 3.6%. Remember how we had wage stagnation? Nobody was, was ever making more money. Nobody's getting over the top of it, but 3.6% more money. Here's something else for you. In the fourth quarter GDP report, the biggest number of all, Biggest number of all. You know what was left after you got done paying the bills? 3.8%. Disposable income at the end of last year was up 3.8%. That's the biggest in over 20 years. This is all before the impacted tax reform. Now, you know all the facts. The people who have lied to you up to this point, when you get it in your paycheck, I said this about Obamacare uh, years ago, and you know, he proved to be true. You can lie to people about things they don't see, touch, or feel, but you can't lie to people about what is or isn't in their pocket. And here's the deal. It's about to hit your paycheck. In fact, I've already heard from some people over the past week who have seen the impact in their paychecks. I've heard from employers as recently as today saying that they were paying their employees with a new adjusted rate. So what does it mean to you? The average American full-time employed makes just over 48000 per year. You know what that means to you? 1980 bucks this year. That's what it means to you. Here's the deal. By the time you take a look at how much more you're making from raises and bonuses and you factor in tax reform, the impact to the average American, you know what that is? 7% more money in your pocket today compared to this time last year. It's the biggest year-over-year increase in 32 years. Two sides to every story, one side to every fact. And again, this hasn't been factored in yet. Here's the fourth point. Top three issues voters ID'd with from the State of the Union address were infrastructure, immigration, and military matters. Showing that the president has the upper hand in negotiations, and it's all part of his agenda, right? And the fifth one. Okay, so Joe Kennedy's response, right, from the State of the Union, along with the other four Democrats. Um, number one, that shows that they got no central message, right? But here is what they have. Anti-Trump. Now... If the president's approval ratings, already the highest in six months, and he was viewed positively from the State of the Union and has momentum and tax cuts hit paychecks, what do you think is going to happen? So if the Democrats' only message is anti-Trump and he's on the rise, uh uh-oh. So once again, the New York Times actually got this one right. Blind squirrel, maybe. Trump has got Democrats right where he wants them. All right, let's go to John in uh, Portsmouth, Arkansas. Go. Hello. Uh, hey. Thank you. We're in, uh, you know, just Sessions and a lot of these crimes that are going on. I do believe Sessions will prosecute, but I do not have faith in the proper charges since what's been going on for so long. I mean, the dossier came out, what, one week before Election Day? The same time Hillary stated nobody's in jail over the money. The insurance policy belonging to this dossier. So really, you you don't have confidence in Jeff Sessions. I, I do have confidence in Sessions putting charges, but I don't believe there'll be charges that'll stick. Just like over the public corruption task force and the charges provided to elected officials of mail fraud and wire fraud. Well, I got to tell you, I I, uh, I fear that you are right. I want you and my fear to be wrong, because if we don't see people held accountable this time, we are a banana republic. 
because we pick and choose what laws we like, and they're only assigned to the people that they pick and choose to assign them to. And if we see that people uh, at levels of government continue to be above the law, then it's game over. It's only a matter of time. So I hope we're both wrong for that reason. Let's go to Roger in Melbourne, Florida. Go. Hey, um, Brian, I'd ordinarily say how you doing, but I know you're doing awesome today. <laughs> Thank you. Um, so um, Jeff Sessions um, is kind of spineless, and uh, so my thought is uh, what has happened lately is that we need Trey Gowdy as the attorney general. Uh, you know what? It's funny you mention that because when he said that he is uh, going to leave Congress and he wants to get back into uh, law, uh, that thought crossed my mind, too. I don't know how we get from here to there at this point, uh, but I second that nomination. That's a that's an awfully good thought. Appreciate it, Roger. Uh, all right, and let's go to Chelsea, who is hanging out in Fort Lee, New Jersey. Go. Hey, how's it going? Hey, all hey. good. Um, yeah, no, I was just going to say, do, do you really think that the FISA courts would, would allow surveillance on an American just based on the dossier? I mean, Carter Page was under investigation since 2013. That has nothing to do with the FISA application being able to go through. So, you know, you bowed question. Okay, so I, I'll bite. Um, I don't know, but we have the memo, and here's the, the issue at hand. Any of the folks who have been out there naysaying this thing, have yet to dispute any of the facts in it, right? So regardless of what I think or what you think, we have 30 declarations of fact and not one of them that has been disputed. So what do we do with that? Well, I mean, they right there, they just omitted the fact that Carter Page has been under investigation since 2013. And they talk about, and they bold that Christopher Steele did not want Trump to become president under any circumstances. Yeah, if I saw what Steele was saying, I wouldn't want him to be president either. Well, okay, fine, but that doesn't discredit anything that's in the memo or the illegal activity that would have taken place based upon the implications in that memo. So, I understand you want to think through this logically, but, hey, you know, as I like to say, two sides of every story, one side of every fact, we have 30 statements of fact, and now one of them that's in dispute as of this point. So, that's what we got to ride with. So appreciate it. And let's go to Brian in Fremont, California. Hey, Brian. It's Brian. How are you? Hey, all good. Hey, uh, I want to talk about this approval rating that uh, we've been talking about. If you consider how much the media bashes Trump every day, I'm surprised it's as high as it is. Oh, no kidding. I mean, and that's why I say, uh, you know, I mentioned this earlier in the hour. We as conservatives, have been conditioned to be on the defensive, to sit back and go, yeah, I mean, uh, we're the odd people out here. And that's why I took the time to demonstrate, guess what? Yeah, more elected Republicans than at any point since the 1920s. Donald Trump is the president of the United States. I mean, there are still days and, and moments in my life I go, wow, that actually happened. I actually remember um, election night after it's all said and done. Uh, you know, looking at my wife at like, uh, you know, 2.30 in the morning and said, Donald Trump is the president of the United States. I mean, think about that. I mean, there's an interesting thought in all of this. You're in California. I mean, God bless you. I understand uh, what it's like there. I'm in South Florida. It's a different version of a similar thing in my little neck of the woods down here. Uh, but guess what? You're actually, you're actually in the majority. And that media, they don't have the influence 
that we used to think they had over the country, over us. And, uh, hey, you know what? Sit back. We're winning. Um, and and uh, not getting tired of it either. How about that? Uh, let's go to, uh, let's stick in California. We'll go to Diane. Hello? Hey, you're oh, on. Here's my question. Okay, we see everything. You just laid it out, all the mash on nations and the complications and all that. They get to the FISA court, and the judge listens to shoddy claims to persuade him to okay wiretapping on citizens. Now, what's with that judge? Now, we we could see the Dem memo. Maybe they presented something to the judge, you know, that persuaded him. But really, what kind of judge would do that? And it, it's like that's the top of the line. That's and and so you raise a very good point, and this is where the big guy needs to weigh in because he knows those people far better than I do. And he might have a more educated opinion on it. As to that point, yeah, I agree with you conceptually. What the heck? Here's what I imagine takes place. So they omit all of the information about the conspiracy, and they present it to the FISA court. Now, you're the FISA court, and here are all of these individuals. You've got the FBI director. You've got the deputy attorney general. You've got high-ranking officials presenting Evidence to you and saying, we need a warrant. This is serious. And what I would imagine in that particular moment is that this judge is viewing this situation through the seriousness and the credibility of the individuals that have signed off on it. And I'm not justifying it because I can't. I don't think we have enough information uh, about the FISA court judge to be able to speak intelligently about that specifically. But you cannot rationalize it along those lines without necessarily indicting the FISA judge. Though I am with you, because when you hear that Yahoo News and Mother Jones were part of a FISA court evidence decision, I mean, what the hell? This is the Brian, uh, this is Brian Mudd, and uh, I'm in for the great one. Mud Lovin. My friend Brian Kenny, Stephen A., our colleague and, and good friend from ESPN, now on MLB Network, was tweeting about this last night, and someone asked him about, what about the fighting Irish? Brian is Irish-American. His father, Charlie Kenny, the late, great Charlie Kenny, bog farmer from Ireland, that's where his people are from, walked the beaten Queens as a cop once he got to this country, was asked about the fighting Irish and the leprechaun logo. And many Irish-Americans are not offended, but many are. And should that also change? You answer The answer that. is... The answer is yes, well, unequivocally yes. Pernicious, negative stereotypes of marginalized people that offend, even some among them, should be changed. It's well, not that hard. What the hell just happened there? I mean, it's like you're going through your week, and there's a lot going on, and then that happens. And what happens? That's ESPN, Max Kellerman, Telling you that the fighting Irish, they're offending people. Now, I'm Brian Mudd, in for the great one, Mark Levin. I cannot imagine how miserable and pathetic of an existence it must be. You wake up in the morning, 
you walk around, and you wait to be offended. And in this particular case, we should all thank God that we aren't waking up as pathetic as Max Kellerman. So in the wake of Cleveland caving to the social justice nonsense that seeks to politicize every sport, which, by the way, can we just watch a freaking sporting event? Good Lord. Without it actually being ruined for those who actually watch it for entertainment. Now, we happen to have this. Now, huh, Notre Dame's mascot is too offensive to be allowed to exist. And I'm beginning to think that what happens is that when you have pathetic people like Max Kellerman, they wake up in the morning, and they're walking around, and they're waiting to be offended, and it doesn't happen. They go for I'm not offended yet. Before long, they, they just invent something to become offended about. It's my operating theory on this one. So never mind that the Cleveland mascot, much like the Braves mascot, like the Seminoles mascot, is, was, art revered by their fans. Here's the biggest bullcrap argument with all of the Native American whatever logos. When have you ever known sports fans to be mocking their own team? They sit there and, and they go, yeah, we really suck. Wow, I really hate the uh, Native Americans that are rep- You're cheering for your team. It's a positive thing. Uh, it, but they're offended. And it's true. We really screwed them a long time ago, and we had the whole trail of tears thing. So, yeah, uh, we're, we're just going to give it. No matter. That doesn't make any sense. We're, yeah, okay. We understand you're offended. So, Cleveland Caves, and here we sit. Now, the Irish? The Irish. Let me ask Max and the all those buffoons over there at the failing ESPN. What of those of us who are simply sports fans are offended by you? Politicizing sports. Does that matter? Now, I got a little Irish in me. I'm a Euro mutt in Lebanese. That means I, I'm Catholic too, by the way. So I got all kinds of righteous ground with you fools, right? I'm offended by you. So by the time this is all done, here is where I'm finding myself. You want to talk about safe space? If you just want to freaking watch entertainment, I'm actually on the verge of finding myself rooting for Vince McMahon's no kneeling league, and potentially cheering for he still hates me or whoever plays in that new league. Good God. And by the way, the Super Bowl. I thought we could just ride off into the Super Bowl. Oh, it was fun when it was a game. Anyway, um, I know a couple of people are actually having no Super Bowl parties, but whether you're watching the game, you're not watching the game, um, I hope you are not offended. And I hope you have a wonderful weekend. And uh, it's been an honor and a pleasure. Again, Brian Mudd, WJNO.com, WIOD.com. It's been an honor filling in for the great.